0: This is
1: The
0: Guardian. I'm Grace Dent and this is Comfort Eating from The Guardian. A podcast where we pay homage to the lesser celebrated foods in life. Because even as a restaurant critic, I believe the food that matters most is often that snack you cobbled together when you're curled upon the sofa. Each week, I ask my guest to lift the lid on what comfort foods have seen them through their lives. Because you can tell a lot about a person from what they eat behind closed doors. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. Hello, friends. Welcome to Comfort Eating. I'm just enjoying a lunch of um, buttered toast and fish paste. Yes, the one in the jar. Only God can judge me. Today, I am going to be chatting to a very, very talented man, the much-adored screenwriter Russell T. Davis. Russell must be nearing the status of national treasure, I feel. He's perhaps best known for his revival of Doctor Who for the BBC and his groundbreaking gay drama Queer as Folk and the absolute genius of years and years. But it may be his recent drama about AIDS, It's a Sin for Channel 4, that has seared his name into TV royalty. Russell is known for being a lovely man, but I know his life has been far from plain sailing and I found an unexpected number of parallels uh, with his life and mine as well. I can't wait to talk about that. We're going to be hanging out over video call today and I am really looking forward to this. This He's a bit of a living legend. Okay, right. Hang on a minute. Actually, this fish paste is pretty pungent. Thank God he's miles away. It smells like cat food, actually. Russell T. Davis, welcome to Comfort Eating. Hello, Grace. Hello. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this so much. Oh. I feel like we know each other already. Don't be freaked out.
2: I know we by should that. know each other. Well, we do now. Here we are. We do comfort, now. Comfort eating together. Marvellous.
0: Are you in your writer's lair now? What's the view out the window? Where are you?
2: This is this is my little office where I sit and write and in front of me is the whole of Swansea Bay, it's <sighs> the, which is a huge bay, as you know, and it's sunny today. It's beautiful. I'm very lucky.
0: We'll start with your comfort food that you have asked to be prepared for me today. Yes. Now, this podcast, it's not really an interview so much, just a chance for me to be very nosy. <laughs> and I like that. That's about, good. <laughs> it's just nosiness. So I have a bowl covered in tinfoil in front of me that's been prepared for me as per your strict instructions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like a remote chef. I'm very intrigued. What am I going to be eating today? I, I literally have no idea. Welcome,
2: Grace, to the world of <laughs> butter, pepper, rice. This is my <laughs> signature dish, butter pepper rice, <laughs> and do you know what? Let me tell you, because your your producer talked me through this yesterday. We set all this up, and I woke up this morning thinking, "What a stupid thing I've done! Why have I said butter pepper rice?" Until two minutes to podcast, when I put it all together, and I was going, "Oh my god, this is delicious!"
0: So you know, just for the for people that can't see the rice, mm, it's some, a, it's a bowl of rice. That's, that that is of rice. all is it has no. Real colour to it. It's just it's bold. It's just long grain rice.
2: It should be Uncle Ben's. It should be so white, mm. it's bleached, and um, really, mm. on oh, it, Grace. It's an excuse to eat yeah. butter, isn't it? Mm. It's all about the butter. There happens to be rice in there. There's a bit of pepper just to give it a bit of whatever. Butter, pepper, rice. Mm-hmm.
0: You know something though, that is so comforting. It's
2: lovely, isn't it? Because every, look, we've all got a cupboard full. I've got a bit of pesto. I've got a tin of tomatoes. It's easy to jazz this up. Don't. That's what I'm saying. Don't have the rice with a bit of butter, with a lot of butter, and the pepper. Nicest food in the world. Gorgeous. I just want to eat
0: this whole... Mm,
2: mm. It's just lovely, isn't it? It's surprisingly lovely. Yeah, it's
0: just... It's It's satisfying. It's It's sating. How much butter is in there? Is it what I would call a wodge of butter? It's a wodge. Or is it a a slither of butter? No, no,
2: no, no. There's no point to that. Does anyone, who has a sliver of butter? What's the point? Butter wasn't made to have slivers. Weirdos. Yes. And perverts. (laughs) (laughs) No, a wodge. Not 50 50. That would be going too far, I've got Mm -hmm. to say. But oh, yours looks nice. I can see yours now. That's very nice. It's like, oh, nice rice. The
0: thing with this is it's so. Moorish, because mm. it's got kind of a real... It's basically rice pudding. It's that yeah, kind Actually, of.
2: yes, the sweetness comes out, doesn't it? You're right, actually. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes.
0: How did you come up with this?
2: It's midnight, you're hungry. What's in the cupboard? <laughs> there it is. It's like it, it wasn't planned particularly. My favourite thing about it is that I haven't actually eaten it all that much over the years but it made my husband laugh and laugh and laugh so much when I <laughs> unveiled the fact that I'd, last night I had butter pepper rice. That it just became one of our running jokes, and almost every night he said, "Oh, just let's have some butter pepper rice. Let's do that." The fact that I named it butter pepper rice, he loved.
0: You're back in Swansea, and I know that you spend time between there and mm. Manchester. Yes. Do you write in both of the places or I, is one a holiday home? Oh, no, no,
2: no. Uh, there are no holidays. And I, um, I've done that typical man's thing of like, I've, like, I'm very lucky to have two houses. And I've done that thing of literally recreating But My cutlery is the same. My crockery is the same. I walk in. It's the same mug. Look, here I am with a Pantone mug, the yellow Pantone mug. And it's the same. So you just, the same knives and forks. So you just, everything feels the same.
0: Why do you do that?
2: Um, it just feels comfortable. Well, everyone has a favourite mug, don't they? You have a favourite mug and I love the, I love a Pantone mug. That's comfort food for me. Drinking tea, out of a Pantone mug and it's always the yellow for me. The 1225 being my absolute (laughs) favourite. It's got a number. Oh my God. I'm just sounding nuts now. Come on this podcast and sound nuts.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What conditions do you need to be able to write well apart from the tea in your special mug?
2: Oh, um... Well, just to be left alone, really, simple as that. I'm getting worse as the years goes on. I now need days in which there's, I've got nothing else to do. Mm. Now, if I've got a meeting at 11 o'clock, the days are spoiled. It's like I haven't got myself to myself and I would have to make myself work on days like that. Whereas if I get up and, this, and the diary is completely blank, that's a perfect writing day. Actually, that's mm. a day I'll probably then go and watch telly all day and then the next day will be a perfect writing day because, of course, I'll do anything to put it off. But, um, yeah...
0: Do you get up incredibly early?
2: No, 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 no. I'm happiest at night, really, until about two or three. I love it then, yeah.
0: Do you? Yeah. So really late on, three o'clock in the morning, do you think that's a good time to come out with a plot twist? That's or?
2: why at midnight you'll find me scavenging the cupboards with butter, pepper rice.
0: <laughs> I'm really interested in how much you actually love being alone because mm. I was reading about... You really wanted solitude, even when you were little, you, mm. even when you were just living with your family in a house. So <laughs> yes, was the, it's like you kind of loved time by yourself. Then
2: it's true. Yes, I did.
0: Why was that?
2: I don't know. And and if, you know, when I'm being a cheap psychologist, sometimes I go, "Oh, is that a gay thing? She didn't fit in." Mm. But it goes way back before that. It's that like when I was in school, primary school and stuff like that, I used to, used to walk home, and I used to love it when no one walked home with me. Sometimes, you know, people catch up, with you, oh, yeah, and then walk along. and I, My literal reaction, like, oh, damn. Because mm. I had stories going on in my head. They were Doctor Who stories then. I was thinking of these the, the things and explosions and chases, not just Doctor Who, cartoons, all sorts of things. I used to draw all the time then, rather than write. Mm. So my head was just full of that, and I'd get really interrupted if someone came along. And, like, yeah, like holidays, I'd think, oh, a week to myself. How lovely. Like a half turn. <laughs>
0: I really emphasise with that. Like Do you? I've always loved my own company. I like people. I like to have a mm. laugh, but I like my own company. If somebody exactly half term for me was a lovely break from having to see everybody at yeah, school. Yeah,
2: exactly. Oh, really? <laughs> oh my god. Yes, yes,
0: yes, yes. yes.
2: <laughs> exactly that. And it's not like it's not like it's not like we're happy in our own company. Like we're walking around going, oh, I'm happy. Because actually, being in your own company means you're digging into yourself and usually digging up stuff you don't like, and you know, or having a tough time with yourself even. But it's good. It feels good. It feels strong. I love it. Yeah.
0: You were the youngest of three children Mm. with two older sisters. Yeah. Your mum, Barbara, and your dad, Vivian. So I kind of see you as the dreamy, creative (laughs) kid... How did your family react to that? Were they understanding and supportive of, you know, being an artistic child? Oh, they were
2: lovely. They, I mean, if anything, they were an artsy family. They were languages. My family were language teachers, which is on the artsy side. And, in fact, we've got a niece now, my lovely niece Ruth, who's a mathematician, and she, she's a puzzle to all of us. Is like, where the hell did you come from? It's like she's a genuine mystery to all of us. Maths! Um, So they were low. It was a house full of books and they just loved it. They were all for it. Um, they, They didn't believe I could ever get a job out of it. It's like I started work behind when I got a job in my 20s and 30s. I got a job. First of all, I worked behind the scenes in television. We never told my father I did that. He never knew. He never oh knew God. I was all right. Never. And and sometimes I'd forget and I'd phone home in the day and I'd go, hello. And he'd say, where are you? I'd go, oh, I'm at home. And he'd go, what are you doing at home? And I'd go, oh God. Um uh, it, It's like it's like a television day off now. It's like Granada, allow all their staff to have Tuesdays off. And I just lie. And I mean, that lie went on for about 20 years. He only died a couple of years ago. And um, so we just kept that lie going forever. And then, so i get credits on television saying written by, well, he was blind, so he couldn't see the credits. But nonetheless, people would say, oh, Russell's, and he'd be like, when did you write that then? I go, oh, in my spare time. I kind of do that in my spare time. Because <laughs> it's quite easy, television writing. It's just an a little hobby. So, um, so artsy, but not, not artsy enough to say go and be bohemian, you know. I,
0: I can't believe that you hid this from your father. <laughs> was, was your family dynamic like that? When you were a child, did everyone keep things from
2: oh, your father? Oh, yes. It was always like, whenever something happens in the family, we go through the whole sort of domino procedure of like, who should we tell? Why should we tell her now? Should we not tell her? Should we do this? Why don't we tell her I was ill? We literally still go through it instead of telling everyone the truth. And we're a lovely family. There's no dark secret at the heart of the family. It's just some strange way we've been brought up. It's funny, we're making it sound like the family has terrible things. The irony is it's not like we're hiding abuse or neglect or poverty. It's like we're literally lying about who took the car yesterday. And did you lock the door? And have you visited your nan? And have you booked that holiday? It's like, oh, don't tell me you booked the holiday. Don't say that, because he'll only fuss. And so I'll say I did it yesterday.
0: It's like we we, we, we live this, it's mad, isn't it? So I was reading about how your dad was the chairman of Swansea Rugby Club. Yes. And I think that's such a defining thing in so many ways because... rugby is such a big part of the community. Oh, my God, yes. He must have been a bit of a local celebrity. I mean, if you went anywhere, everyone must have known you.
2: Yes, 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 a bit of a local celebrity. He was also a great after-dinner speaker as well. He he was paid to give speeches. He was hilarious. He'd work very hard on these speeches. So, yeah, and that rugby club was the the centre of our lives when we were young. I mean, I hated it. I couldn't bear it. But it was where you went on a Saturday afternoon, and I just used to sit there on a Saturday afternoon, dying to get home before Doctor Who was on, because it had it had a television in the corner. Uh, I remember watching Tom and Jerry on that television, but you could never guarantee that my dad would put down his pint in order to get home for Doctor Who, and it was, ooh, a major tension, major tension, but it's fun. And now, of course, all the family funerals. When I die do come to my wake because it'll be in Swansea Rugby Club. That's where we have all our funerals and dues and everything. So now when I go back there, it's like the, the tolling of a bell.
0: Tell me about the rugby club when yeah. you went when you were a little kid. That rugby club was, was
2: very, very special to my family because both my parents' only children, they both went through the war. And, and actually, my father, I realised much later on in life, came back from the war shattered and spinning with it. Um... So he came home and a lot of them all came home. So that rugby club came their whole lives. And I talk about Saturday nights, they'd all carry on drinking. They'd all pile back to our house at like, well, when the pups go, it was 11 o'clock. And they'd stay up drinking till two in the morning. And my memory mm. is of sitting on the stairs, listening to them all drunk and singing and happy. It was a very, very happy bunch of people. To me, it was what I did love was the women, the rugby wives, Myra and Noir, all these these fantastic, all in their glittery jumpers, all in their in, their, in their glory, all drinking gin and tonics and singing and laughing, amazing, amazing. The are men, men fantastic as well, but there was just a great big gay streak in it, even as a kid, that just responded to those glorious women and their loveliness.
0: I love that you say that when you die you still want to have your wake there, which makes me think that they put on a good spread.
2: Oh, I don't think I have much choice. It's just what my family would do. if If I ask for someone else, they'll just ignore me. It is like, it's your classic. It's a lovely old sausage rolls, chicken wings, that sort of stuff.
0: If there was like a big win or something and there was going to be those fantastic women in their sparkly jumpers putting on a buffet, what's yeah. on this table? You, you've got your plate, you walk up, what are you going to get?
2: Oh, I'll get the chicken wings and nowadays chicken thigh, which is a much nicer thing, obviously, and uh, a sausage roll. I love all that stuff. But actually, it's like, it was better than that, actually. I'm, I'm kind of lying, actually, because it was a bit more, There was there was that element of, when these women would have do there was an element of potluck to it. And actually, these women were great cooks. They were properly great cooks. So there'd be casseroles and stews. And my mother was an extraordinary cook. She'd work all day. She was a teacher. She'd come mm-hmm. home one night. She'd, she'd say, It's Osso Buko tonight. Osso I mean, who has Osso Buko on a, on, a, on, a on a Tuesday <laughs> night? That's the kind of chef she was. It's like she'd make the only thing she ever made that failed was rum baba. She made her own rum and they were just awful. And that was like that was that was you know, she'd been to France, she she travelled a bit. She was, you know, she was bigger than Swansea, my mother. Bless her. She was she was an amazing cook. She would think nothing. She lived in the kitchen. She just, um Stood there all day long and just potted, just cooked, cooked, cooked the fridge was just jam packed all the time. She loved it. Everything she made tasted. Coquille Saint Jacques, she said, let's have Coquille Saint Jacques. <laughs> just things like that. And that, so that's so ordinary food to me. I know those things are like, so are like fancy. ordinary food to me. That's like, oh, my mum's done that.
0: <laughs> when you were 18, you mm. got a place at Oxford I to did, study yes. English. So that must have been, like, quite the transition from where you were to Oxford.
2: It was, actually, yes. It was, um, yes, it it takes you many years to think about that, really. And my parents are very proud, because they were the first generation ever to go to university. They both went to Swansea University. So then I, the next generation going to Oxford, was huge to them.
0: Tell me about your first term at Oxford.
2: Well, it was, like, in terms of, like, you get there, and, of course, you're 18, 1981... There aren't like what did you do for lunch? What did you do for lunch, Grace? Before I kind of worked out the system that I didn't know where lunch was. And this is before Pretemonte. Can you imagine a world in which there were no sandwich shops? And, and 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 where do you eat and what do you do? And where do you go? And I mean there were cafes, but even mm. then cafes were much more they were a bit more restauranty. To go to a cafe, you'd sit down and have your cutlery. There weren't takeaway coffees like there are now. You wouldn't do that. It was all much more sit down. So I remember sitting there, well, what do I actually do? And of course, I'd never had to feed myself. But my mother just had a fridge full of food. You just you just went to the fridge and there was ham and there was cheese and there was whatever and bread and you just ate.
0: So where did you go?
2: Well, I my comfort food for that first term became Woolworths and just having a piece of that pork pie with egg in it. Gala, is that gala pie? Is that called gala pie? Which, let's face it, is a lovely food any day. I would have that if I was sitting having dinner in Buckingham Palace and say, bring me a piece of pork pie.
0: Right. So <laughs> I have equally fond memories of Woolworths, right? Woolworths, who doesn't? Woolworths, yeah. a magical place. Emporium. You know? But I don't have any strong memories of them selling oh. fresh ish food. Oh, there was a proper
2: meat. Cabinet thing Yes you know This wasn't pork pie Wrapped up in a plastic thing This was like We'll cut a piece of pork pie For you
0: Tell me about The Woolworths Pork pie With egg in it I want you to tell me How it tastes How you serve it When you take it home Do you have it With a condiment
2: Oh no 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 because it's Kind of juicy enough It's very juicy Pork pie that one Good crust Good crust to it And I like the jelly <laughs> You know, you meet Sometimes people <laughs> Who leave the jelly behind well, What kind of people Are they <sighs> proper pink. None of you, you know, it's that mechanical pork pie. It's not mm. even modern pork pies are kind of like they're a bit grayer, like that's mm. closer to the natural animal stuff like that. Your Woolworths pork pie was just pink, bright pink with a lot. And if you, you were lucky, you got a slice with a bit of yolk in the egg. If you're unlucky, of course, you get the end of the egg, which was... What do you do, stand there and complain? I can't have the end of the egg, please. Just to give me some yellow. You can't do
0: that. Do you know, <laughs> so, and in a lot of ways, isn't that like life?
2: Isn't it? Isn't it do you get the yellow or do you not? It's. <laughs> and after my term, I worked out where everyone was going and you actually went to like the bar in the university where they did a very nice lasagna. So then I'd like three years of lasagnas for lunch.
0: When you were just 24... You moved to Manchester. Yes. To write on Prime Suspect, which <laughs> blows my mind. Did you meet Helen Mirren?
2: It wasn't quite. It wasn't quite that easy. I went to do children's programs, and it took me a long time to get yeah. into that Prime Suspect room. No, so I was I, it. I,
0: chuckle Vision first. Chuckle Vision
2: chuk- first. That was one of the first things I ever wrote. And, and, and I mean, to, to me, be honest, to yeah,
0: whatever. So Helen Mirren, but the Chuckle Brothers. To
2: hell with that, exactly. And yeah, I probably get more repeat fees for that than anything I've ever done because. Chuckle is a universal language.
0: It feels like when you got to Manchester, you were just working and working and working, and you know, really, really exhausting yourself. Were you feeding yourself then? Did you, did you learn where food came from? What did you eat well, when you were sitting at your that's desk? That's
2: what, and because the hours were ferocious. I did join children's television, and one of the joys about children's television is it's very cheap, so you have to do everything, so you learn an awful lot, but you have to do everything. And my favourite thing to eat then, again, shops weren't open 24 hours then, even in a big city like Manchester, but there were like grocers in Russia. I lived just behind and the curry man, I still live there. So they'd get like corner shops that were grocers that would just sell tins of stuff. And my favourite thing to eat then, and again, like 10 o'clock at night, were tins of... New potatoes. Boiled, peeled new potatoes, which I can still taste Now I still think that's delicious. I, st- I love eating stuff from a tin. I love chickpeas as well, mm. just to be a bit more healthy. I can st- To this day, I can still eat a tin of chickpeas in 30 seconds. I love chickpeas. Um, but the, so you, Have you ever potatoes. had potatoes
0: from a tin? Uh, I have had potatoes from a yeah. tin when I was a little girl. So they're in a very salty, briny yes. water, aren't they?
2: And it's a very... Specific. They don't taste like any other form of potato. They taste tinny. They taste of the tin, and I love them. That and a fork, gone.
0: I think there's a specific type of person that does eat from the tin, because I will eat from the tin. I can't Mm. open beans and take the beans to the microwave without taking a spoon and eating the first... But I know that that provokes a very strong reaction in several of my exes as they've been leaving.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Were there not other reasons?
0: (laughs) No, no, no. I like to think it was the beans. I'm going to go to Manchester, 1998. You're at a club called Cruise 101. This is when you met your future husband, Andrew. And I think... It seems, from what I'm saying, it became clear almost early on that he was going to be something serious.
2: It, it was, yes.
0: What was it about you two that suited you each other?
2: just can't tell. I wish I could tell you because I lived to it. But literally, I met him on the Saturday night and I went into work on the Monday to my lovely producer, Nicola, who I still work with, Nicola, who produced Queer as Folk with me. And I said, oh, I copped off someone really nice on, on Saturday night and I said, I think he'll be around for years. Isn't that funny? I said it, she's an absolute witness to the fact that I said that. And that wasn't like me at all. Before that, he's only, really, the only second boyfriend I ever had. I just didn't do boyfriends. I was so busy living on my own. I always think I didn't have room for a boyfriend you know you meet friends you get this you meet friends of yours who go oh i'll never get a boyfriend i'll never get married i've got no room for them in my life my life's fine and it's like someone comes along suddenly everything changes and you've got all the room in the world for someone to fit in when they fit you and they, love honestly, being
0: on your own though don't you i, I do
2: love- but i love being with and actually he he bore the brunt of that for many years he didn't actually move in with me until i moved to america in 2009 and then he decided to follow me out there because he wanted to be with me and uh so that's when we moved in together then we moved back and he was very ill. He got cancer. So then we lived together. So up until that, we had about nine years of me saying, or 10 years of me, no, 11 years of me saying, no, 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 you're not living with me. And he'd come, he'd come around in the night, some, sometimes, not every night, but we'd spend all weekend together. But, oh my God, I defended my turf like crazy, like crazy. But but I don't know, how How does that work? I do remember seeing him. This is the strangest thing to describe, but I honestly thought, this is not hindsight. I remember at the time I remember looking across this club And seeing him. And the weird thing was, he'd lived there for 10 years. I mean, Canal Street's not that big. We must have been walking past each other 100 times on that street and never seen each other. He says he'd never seen me. I'd never seen him. Mm. And I saw him. And honest to God, my reaction was kind of like, I remember feeling like, oh, there he is. Like that. That's it. I did. Oh, there he is. Weird, isn't it? How strange. And there he was. And he was. And he was lovely. Bless him.
0: Your career hit the next level. You took over Doctor Who in 2005. <laughs> yeah. That had been your lifelong dream. Yes. Ever since you were walking to school. Yeah. Wishing yeah, that yeah, people yeah. wouldn't come and catch up and want to speak to you because you were thinking of Doctor Who plots.
2: Absolutely. Properly a lifelong dream, yeah.
0: The past decade, you've written endlessly <laughs> programmes <laughs> like Torchwood. Years and years. You've won multiple BAFTAs. You've been nominated for Emmys. and I, I have to assume that... You are uh, no longer at this point. By the time all this money's arrived, you are no longer surviving on tinned potatoes. What were you and Andrew eating together at that point?
2: Well, for when we first got together, he was a nice cook. He'd do like a pork casserole or he'd do a do rack of lamb and stuff like that. He was a nice, straightforward cook. So actually, I could relax a bit. I was like, oh, good. And we both loved a salad, actually. Do you know what? We both make... We do a lovely, chunky salad. You know, like, people slice tomatoes and cucumbers in little, thin little bits. We have great chunks in our salad. Yeah. And And um, so we, you know, yes, we had, a, we had a nice time with that. And then, of course, he fell ill. He got cancer. He got brain cancer. And so mm-hmm. suddenly, Muggins here to do all the cooking. That was a major shock in my life. And, and I thought, well, I have to. I really have to. He's ill. No kidding about. And so um, I became... Quite a good cook. I'm not calling myself a good cook, but actually, I like my food. Actually, I, I think I I basically heat things up. It's I don't do those magic. I won't do a I won't do a gravy. I won't do a sauce. I, that's just too much hard work. But I do heat things up nicely. Timing, Grace. It's all about the timing. It's I could time things to death.
0: So when you're in LA, yes, Andrew becomes ill, and you find yeah. out that he has a brain tumor. The pair of you immediately move home um, yeah. and you do, you stop, stop work and care for him. Yes. Like I, I've been in a similar situation with my mother Yeah, uh, and, I, you know, so it's, I'm very interested in this idea of suddenly you go back and when you're caring for someone, what you're cooking at that time, you know, because mm. you must have been doing all of the cooking then. Did you get to that point where you, you kind of have a list of things that you know that person responds to and you keep just cooking them all the time?
2: Yes, I suppose what I did, for a start, we kind of felt, So we basically thought, let's make your food healthy. But uh, there was no, I mean, initially, he only had about 18 months to live. He ended up living for eight years uh, not down to my cooking, but you never know. <laughs> it could have been me. And um, so he was never gonna go on like a macro diet. You know, people are lining up to say, just live off flaxseed and onion peel, and then you'll save your life. And it's like, you know, he wants to be happy. Let's have food that makes you happy. So um, we're not banning chocolate, we're not doing that. It's 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 that but I will be healthy. So it's like so I to cook these meals of a lot of fish. And, um, tons of fish, and basically eight vegetables a night, eight vegetables on your plate every night. I love that. And I still cook that now to this day. Now that he's gone, I'm like a walking vegetable. It's, I just do it automatically. My timings are like so. It's like I go shopping. I just know where everything is. I know the timings, like 12 minutes for the carrots, nine minutes for the cauliflower, eight minutes for this, bah, 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 all the way down, three minutes for the peas. So they were incredibly healthy meals and very tasty may I say and also not ruined by having gravy slathered all over it.
0: <laughs> <It's> just <laughs> I don't think that people talk about that period of having to care for someone you know yeah. near the end we don't really talk about it the act that actual you know, that that space? Because I couldn't really work during that time. Could you work? Were you writing a script here and there? No,
2: I had about two or three years off and then it became clear he was... Not recovering, but he was all right. He was more he was stable. He was fine. Um, you know, he was, well, he wasn't fine, but he was okay. There was a chance he could have survived. There was a chance for a few years that, that he got through it. So that's when I got back to work. But actually, actually, the reason why I'm talking about the eight vegetables and I was that I loved it and I loved timing that stuff. And yeah, it's knackering. And yes, it's strange. And, but actually, I love him. And so it's very, everyone was kind of amazed that I gave up work and and became a cook and things like that. If anything, if anyone expects me to get staff in, it was then But I was like, this is easy. I actually found it easy. And I'm very much aware you can be a carer, my God, you can be a carer for 20 years and really suffer. And also financially, I was okay. I always saved and saved and saved for a rainy day and then one day it rained. And so I could take those two or three years off. I could have taken more years off. It's weird that, but I was always ready for some sort of, emergency or disaster so all that cooking I loved it that's that's why literally 30 minutes to prepare that evening meal bang 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 like a automaton but loving it getting already preparing the breakfast of the same oats overnight oats for breakfast every day uh with fruits which I still have now I love those oats you see I wouldn't swap that for the world so it was very very tasty stuff and but an honor really to an honor to be Cooking it to be doing that. It was never a hard. Sometimes friends would say, Oh, you know, do you want me to come in and cook a meal for us? Oh, no way. No way. Absolutely. I knew exactly what it was. And he loved it. One of the very, he was very old towards the end. One of the last sentences he ever said to me it was I like was feeding him the, the old overnight oats that he loved so much. And he said, and he just said, It's delicious. He could hardly talk. And he just went, It's delicious. One of the last, that was the last but one sentence he ever said to me, I think. So that was like, Wow. That's nice. It was delicious. It still is. So, yeah. Bless him.
0: It's so strange because when I think about the the last few months I had with my mum she died on February the 1st and I really wow. I really think about uh yes it was awful, but yes, I was happy.
2: Yes. Absolutely, I was happy, and I was there. it was it's an honor, isn't it it's the, it's the greatest act of love you will ever go through, possibly it's like I didn't realize it was that recent that's you must be still reeling lost darling
0: <sighs> well, you know, I mean, I was gonna ask you about that. how quickly did you start writing again because I started working. Oh, I had
2: to. I was in the middle of years and years. I think like the funeral finished and I kind of went home and started I was in the middle of a show, that years and years thing on BBC One, and I'd written five episodes off six and they were about to start filming. So I was kind of glad in a way, actually, because it's not like... I mean, if you don't write going to write sounds like a hardship or it sounds like going back to work in a factory or something. If you do write, you know that actually it's part of you. So it's it's not it's not separate from the grief you've just been through. It's part of you. It's it's just a, it's a way of expressing yourself. So I was more than happy to go back to work and I haven't really stopped since, to be honest. Um, yeah, so it's fine. And my mum died in like 20, 2001, 20 years since my mum died. I don't think I've stopped work since then. <laughs>
0: I love that you just said to me that years and years thing that was on BBC One, as if I, <laughs> as if I as if I maybe wouldn't have heard of it, and I think it's probably one of the most exquisite, oh. multi-layered pieces of drama about a family I've well ever seen. I mean, oh, it was great. just absolutely incredible, um, oh. and you know, I think that you you do touch on all those themes there. I mean, I, I, it's interesting that you were you were going through that grief but then also writing about you know these very big themes around yes. death and loss and yes. and uh, fractures in families and the end of the world
2: yeah, and a family that comes together and has a party and has a as a meal every year every episode they get together there's a, sometimes there's a wedding sometimes there's a it's always grand's birthday or they have a barbecue or something it's all about the family and the food actually that it's all happening there
0: <laughs> what did you do for andrews wake if you had always been around food did you have specific things oh
2: no it was a pub that did nice food a very very it was your posh chicken wing it wasn't it wasn't a deep fried chicken wing it was just nice really nice though and it was like yes i ordered a lot and a lot of people came and then we all went back to My house where my sister had cooked like one million meatballs. She's great, my sister. She's a brilliant cook and she cooks. Every time she cooks meatballs, she puts something different in. She goes, don't ask me the recipe. She's like that. I just shove in whatever's there. And they're always different every time. She's like that. Different every time. And it is slightly different every time. So a tub, a vast vat of meatballs was perfect that night. Our family and Andrew's family all together just devouring them. Lovely.
0: You seem like you're in a really good place at the moment.
2: I'm kinda of, yes, I am. Yes, to be honest. It's like I'm sad that he's gone. I'm but I'm kind of just kind of used to that. I'm eternally sad that he's gone. That doesn't get any better. Um uh but that's fine. That's fine. I like missing him, you know? It's like it's 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 funny because like, you know, all couples are couples and they're together. But when he was ill for the last eight years, we spent every second of every day together. So I'm very much aware that I walk along. I still walk to the same shops, I still go to the same places, so I can literally, he used to have a walking stick because he was slightly disabled after one of the operations. So his little walker stick click, click, click. I used to say, here he comes, click, click, click. And um, I can, it's like I can still, that click, click, click still following me. I can still hear it. So I quite like that. Sometimes I think you should stop thinking like that and move on. And But I'm fine. It's like, Work is good. So, yeah. Do you think that
0: that experience flavoured when you were, writing those scenes in It's a Sin because, you know, I found that so moving. You know, obviously I I knew what I was signing up for when I started watching It's a Sin, you know, and I'm so, so glad that you've covered this space in history and, you know, brought it to the forefront. Thank you. Until Colin. Oh,
2: Colin.
0: (laughs) And I found that scene of him... When he'd lost dignity, I think that I found that it really, really cut me. And I I thought, to write this, you have to have seen it, you know?
2: Sometimes I think I'm a monster, but that is Andrew's death. That was like the staring into space, uh, just gone. He was just gone. Like I say, there were a couple of last sentences. And then there were another 10 days after that, I've just... You know, if only his eyes had been closed, but they weren't. They just stayed open, staring. And who knows what he was thinking? We kept, I kept talking. My sister was there. When he died, I was holding one hand, she was holding the other. So it was, I'm so glad she was there, bless her. And my other sister would have been. And um, yeah, it's funny. It's sometimes you write things that you've been through and you put them on page and you think, am I some sort of monster? Shouldn't I keep that private? But then you think, but I love Colin. <laughs> I love Colin. I created Colin, and I want to write his death to be as powerful and as. And Colin is real people. God, I had the, you've had those friends who died from that Ill- from any illness, too young. We've all had that. Everyone's had that loss somehow. So you have to do them justice. So in order to do them justice, you have to use that stuff. You have to dig it up and be raw and shove it in there because it's real. And then it works, and that worked. That unashamedly worked. So yeah, I was. I was all sort of thinking, gosh, sometimes I think, gosh, would his family be upset that I used the same eye thing, the same... Um, I don't think I even told the actor that that was lovely Callum that that was based on Andrew's death. But, um, yes, it's not like I'm talking like there's a choice, but in the end it's me sitting at this desk at two in the morning with some butter pepper rice thinking, yes, you're not even choosing to put that on the page. I mean, that's why I write is that I have those things in my head and so I put them on the page. You know that. It's yeah. just that you can't censor yourself. You can't tidy it up.
0: Yeah. Thank you for talking to me about this. <laughs> we, didn't have, uh, d- d- we didn't have to go so deep about all I know, this. I think it's but, because I'm going through it as well at the same yes. time. And, and uh, yeah, it's... And are you
2: are you talking to people to talk to about it and stuff.
0: Um, yeah. I, I mean, say that. I don't really... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's exactly it. I'm absolutely surrounded by people that I can talk to about it. But why do that when you can just keep on signing book deals and just throwing yourselves into those things? Is that not the healthy way to deal with things?
2: Exactly.
0: (laughs) You know, you have to keep going. You have to
2: just keep going. Yes, exactly. I mean, and everyone does. That's the other thing you realise is that actually no one stops. No, really, not really. Um, Everyone out there, everyone, everyone you ever pass on the street has lost someone and they just eventually quickly go back to work most people have to go to work on the monday morning let's be honest we we could choose we could choose when to sign our deals and stuff like that everyone else it's like we'll have two days off for the funeral and then back you come love and we do you just do
0: russell thank you for bringing butter pepper rice into my life
2: thank you for not (laughs) laughing me off the podcast (laughs)
0: And thank you so much for comfort eating with me.
2: Oh, I loved it. Thank you. That's a really different way of looking at your life. And I've thought about things that because I thought of me arriving in Manchester 24 and, and having so much work I just eat potatoes at the tin is like wow. I'm not done badly. I've done all right.
0: It's a powerfully erotic image.
2: <laughs> I knew we'd get there in the end. <laughs> You've been fighting it all.
0: I'm only flesh and blood. <laughs> This episode of Comfort Eating was produced by Gabriella Jones. The series producer is Leia Green. And the executive producer is Cathy Drysdale. Music and sound design is by Axel Cacoutier. If you like this podcast, please leave us a rating and a review. You can subscribe wherever you're listening now so you never miss an episode. Thank you for listening. This is The Guardian.